Yes, last week was awesome. Can we just take a moment and celebrate that as well? There were some cool moments of declaration last Sunday right up here. Uh, some of you might not know what I'm talking about. We just wrapped up a spiritual growth journey called One Life. The challenge was you have one life to invest. The question was, who's the one life that you're investing in? This past week, um, those light bulbs that you saw there, each one of them with an initial or a series of initials written on there that represent somebody. They were moved out into our lobby space, and uh, we actually counted those bulbs this past week. There are 310 of them, and assuming a couple of you, I've seen you sneak some out there this Sunday. Now there are more than 310 bulbs out there representing an individual who perhaps you know they have not yet crossed the line of faith. And what that was was a moment of declaration. You're doubling down and saying, listen, Jesus, use me however you will. I have one life to invest. This is one life that I'm going to invest in. Would you use me toward that end? I want to live my life boldly on display before you, God, before others so that they can see you as well. Hey, I said people sneaking out there, putting them in. You don't have to sneak. Actually, I would empower you. Do that. Anytime God nudges you, hey, there's a one life in my neighborhood or my workplace, my family, somewhere inside my sphere of influence, that God, you're calling me to invest in that person, simply do that. Have a moment of declaration. You can come in during the week sometime. You could do it any Sunday morning. Grab one of those light bulbs, write their initials on there, screw it in, have a moment of declaration, and just kind of, God, use me how you will toward that end in somebody's life. Also, here's an action step coming out of One Life. Uh, we have training that's coming up here right around the corner. Actually, I think our first one is this Thursday night. We were talking through the series how the three Ds, 3D1, the challenge is to develop friendships, discover stories, and to discern next steps. We want to coach you toward that end, so you need to sign up for that if you haven't done that already. We have five of them coming up right around the corner. We'll do some more later on, but we want to get everybody trained up on this. Sign up for it. The first one is this Thursday. You hit that quick link, uh, maybe the QR code that's up on the screen right now, and come and be a part of that. I'd encourage you. I would dare you to do that. That's going to be cool. Hey, I want to pray for that season of our church life right now, and then we're going to dive into the topic today. God. We approach you open-handed. Everything we have is yours. Our very lives, we seek to be yours on display for you to use how you will to redeem this world. Use us, we ask of you. So, Lord, this One Life initiative, we're kind of finished the sermon series portion of it, but, God, we, we, this isn't done in our church as we drive this deeper into the DNA of who we are, who you've called us to be, God, we simply ask that you would use us how you will. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, like I said in that prayer, this is not done. It's not the end. It's really more of the beginning. But we get to talk about other topics in church life as well, including today we're diving in on a brand new sermon series. It's called too much. Check this out. Do you find that today you're pulled toward newer, better, bigger things? 
Is your world driven by getting to the next success, to the next win, to the next upgrade? Do you struggle to find satisfaction, contentment, and consistency? An effort to stay ahead in the game, is debt building up around you? Are you out of energy? Are you out of hope? What if you were able to let go of that feeling to strive for more? What if you could live in a place of peace, knowing you were taken care of? What if you no longer needed to worry about measuring up? What if living with less is actually living with more? Yes. Um, how many of you, let me see a show of hands, um, how many of you have to deal with money? Raise your hands. If your hand's not up, I don't want to call you a liar, but uh, the deal is, if you live and kind of move in our culture, you have to deal with money. Um, so the preacher's got to talk about money, unapologetically, for the next several weeks. Why? Because money is a discipleship issue. It is. We all have to deal with money, so we ought to talk about it. How many of you? How many of you, you felt your pulse, maybe your blood pressure go up just a little bit. You don't have to raise your hands. But during that video we just watched, as the numbers ticked up, as the numbers came back down, how many of you thought, oh, I haven't paid the water bill yet this month? Oh, my goodness, there's a credit card bill that's looming. And you felt just a moment of panic, a moment of anxiety. The topic... That we're going to talk about today in this series, living in, with less in the land of more. The whole topic is too much. Why? Because we live in a culture we do have too much. We'll talk about that as the weeks progress. Today, today we're talking about gratitude. Now, before we dive into that too deep, I want to stay with that video just a little bit. If your blood pressure is up, let's keep it up just for a little bit. Let's explore the why behind why we need to talk about this. I did some uh, Googling this past week. You want to see what the national debt is up to? You don't, but I'm going to show you anyway. This is the screenshot, and uh, it gave me a little bit of a panic attack watching it on the website. It was like these numbers were just flying up just flying, and then it screenshotted it. It'll be higher today than it was a couple days ago when I screenshotted this. The national debt is $31.26 trillion. That's with a T, dollars. I can't even wrap my brain around that much money. That's a lot of money. Last hour, one of our elders, I asked him afterwards, hey, what would you think? Give me some feedback. And he said, well, you, you, you said the national debt wrong. I called it $3 trillion. I was given a lot of grace there. $31 trillion. Congress has raised the national debt ceiling several times. Actually, 78 times since 1960. 78 times we've said, this is how much our budget is, this is how much we're willing to spend, not to pay off the debt, mind you, to service the interest on the debt. We've got to raise it to balance the budget. 78 times, I'm not a politician and I'm really not into political stuff. It's that season I know right now we're trying to decide who we vote in, who we vote out. That's not the point I'm making. And before we throw too many stones at Congress... In this land of consumerism that we all live in, 
Can I show you another screenshot? This came from Dave Ramsey's website. Some of you are Dave Ramsey fans. The average American household debt. Oh, any debt. Average household debt, $158,000 plus dollars. Credit card debt. This is unsecured debt. $14,000 plus dollars per household. Student loans, this has been in the news recently, $58,000. Some of those are lower, or we hope will be lower for some of you here soon if all of that goes through, but that's going to raise other numbers and other areas up. You get what I'm saying here. Auto loans, These, this is like, like rust, right? Like cars are such a horrible investment. I mean, you pay this amount for them, and immediately they're worth this amount, and then two or three years later, they're worth this amount. In loans on cars, the average household has $31,000. Mortgage loans, what you owe on your house, $202 plus thousand dollars. We have to talk about money, right? Can I just suggest to you, this was not God's original plan. Do you want to see God's original plan? Now, before we dive into this too deep, I need to throw out a cautionary tale here. I want to show you a passage from the Old Testament that, God's, that is God's original plan. I'm going to be actually in Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're going to camp out later in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You might as well uh, go ahead and go there right now. I'm on page 184 of those Bibles that are underneath the seat in front of you, Deuteronomy chapter 8. But first, let's skip ahead just a few chapters to Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is God's original design. Now, real quick, here's the caveat. This is for a theocracy he's speaking to. Look around. We don't live in a theocracy. We live in a democracy, kind of. It's actually a representative republic. America, a Christian nation, you know that phrase, God bless America. I hear that and I simultaneously feel my skin crawl and I feel hope. What? Listen. If God bless America is a prayer, asking God to bless because we want him to bless because we value his input into our lives, that is a beautiful prayer. But if it's just some politician's stump speech, just kind of words that come out, it's kind of a cocky statement, isn't it? Why? Why would God bless America? We're not a theocracy. But in the Old Testament, God was setting up one where God is king. He's the leader of the nation, and he set up some ground rules for that nation in the ancient nation of Israel, and this was his original plan for them. Check this out, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. If only you fully obey the Lord your God. There's a caveat, which actually can be a financial word, a caveat statement to this. If you obey the Lord and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today, for the Lord your God will, will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. We looked at the national debt just a bit ago. God's original design for his people, this nation of Israel, was that they actually would have the resources. They wouldn't be borrowing from other nations. Rather, they would be lending to other nations. We're called to be responsible 
with finances. We're called to be fiscally responsible. We work on our physical bodies, physical health. We also should be called to fiscal health as well. The scriptures teach about money. Oh my goodness. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole counsel of the gospel. Money has to be a part of it. Why in the world would this preacher talk about money? It makes us uncomfortable to talk about money in church because it's a discipleship issue. It is. Jesus speaks about money over and over again. And if Jesus, the master preacher, he's the model that I want to live my life by, if he talked about money, we should talk about money. We all raised our hands. At least we should. We all have to deal with money. Jesus said clearly, he didn't say that money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. But he said, the love of money is the root of all evil. You and I, as toddlers growing up in this great nation, we were taught the value of money. We were taught to be good little consumers. We have to talk about this because it's a discipleship issue. Listen, there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible that talk about money. It's talked about more than any other topic in the Bible. We have to talk about this. So we're going to do that over the next several weeks. Let me give you a sneak peek of what we're going to look at. Uh, the title of the series is Too Much, Living with Less in the Land of More. There's a simple formula to be found, and this is what we're going to talk through. Four principles. It's a math formula, right? Because budgeting, money, it's about math, right? Four principles plus four practices equals real profit. Well, what are those, you ask? I'm glad you asked. These are the four principles. This is the teaching outline for the next several weeks. Today, I'm talking about gratitude. Next week, our executive pastor, Daniel Shelton, is going to talk about contentment. The week after that, Jake Harp, our discipleship pastor, because this is a discipleship issue, he's going to talk about trust. I'm going to uh, come back and talk about humility. And then the end of the series, Pastor Tony Johnson is going to work on a book in this thing. I'm talking about gratitude today. He's going to talk about gratitude then, Thanksgiving. That's how we're going to do it. Those are the four principles. Four practices. These are all Bible principles, by the way. These are Bible practices. Debt-free living, this is what God calls us to, debt-free living, saving, budgeting, and giving equals real profit. By the way, before you're looking at that saying, oh, our preacher is some kind of a health and wealth gospel preacher, what's he talking about, real profit there? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Real profit, hit the next slide, profit actually means something of value. That's what we're aiming for here is something of value. Listen, money will buy a bed, but it doesn't buy peaceful sleep. Would you agree with that? Do you find yourself worried, the brain just kind of spinning when you lay your head down at night? Are there more days at the end of the month than there are dollars in my bank account? Money will buy books, but it won't buy an intellect. Money will buy food, but it doesn't buy an appetite. Money will buy a house, not a home. When we're fighting over money all the time, listen, that's no home. That's not a good environment. Money will buy amusements, but it won't buy fulfillment. Money will buy travel anywhere in the world, but it will not buy you a ticket into heaven. Real profit is not measured in dollars. We've talked about this. You've heard this phrase maybe ad nauseum over the last seven weeks. You have one life to invest. That's 
money language, right? Well, time, talent, resources, you have one life to invest. And we've been asking the question, who's the one life that you're investing in? We've kind of viewed that as an investment into other people's lives through an evangelism lens, but it's also an investment of your time, talent, and resources into God. Who are you going to invest in? Well, let me, let me give you a hint. Whose are you? You're his. One of the things we want to challenge one another with over the next several weeks is, do we approach God with a heart of gratitude? Do we tip God or do we tithe to God? That's a pretty important thing to wrestle through. This is a discipleship issue. Money should serve us. Oftentimes we live in such a way where we serve money. Well, who are we really supposed to serve? God I jump ahead. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. Okay, so some of these principles, all of these principles, uh, they're Bible principles. They're put together in a nice, neat little book that I want to be a gift to you if you choose to receive it. A bit of a mentor of mine, a friend of mine, Gary Johnson, Dr. Johnson, uh, was a preacher. He is a preacher on the south side of Indianapolis. He served a great church, Indian Creek Christian Church, on the south side of Indy for a number of years he wrote a book several years ago just telling his life story. Gary was a banker. And God called a banker into full-time ministry inside the church walls. And he preached. God called him to preach. And so several years ago, he, he wrote his story. And he looked through the Bible and he said, these are the principles and these are the practices that God tells us surrounding money. He put that together with his life story and he published a bit of a book. And uh, I was able to get my hands on 100 of these. You ever have God nudge you with something? This happened this past week. I was driving down the road literally in my truck. And I felt like God was saying, I, I want you to buy these. I went home and I said to Dawn, hey, I, I, I kind of was hearing this. What do you think? And she confirmed it and she said, I think we should. And so, listen, your preacher's not a wealthy man. Let me rephrase that. By world standards, we're all filthy rich. We're all one percenters. We are. If you live in this country, you belong to that percentage. By American standards, I'm probably not a wealthy man, but... We've lived by the principles in this book. We've been married for 27 years now. I believe this is God's better way to live. And I want it for you. So would you receive this as a free gift? I'm going to invite you, after the service is done, go out here to the merch table where we're selling the Venture t-shirts and stuff. I'm not going to buy you a t-shirt. You're on your own for that. Actually, Jake told me this morning that you could buy all of those things out there for 100 bucks, and you've got a brand new venture wardrobe, so go for that. You're on your own if you want to buy those. But the book, I've got, I think, 50 of them out there for this service. We have a total of 100. We're giving away to the church family. And uh, one per household, grab it. Just do me a favor. If you pick one up, what am I going to ask of you? Read it. Read it. And uh, at the end of each chapter, you're going to notice that there's a series of questions. Don and I want to gift this book to you as a gift, but I want you to interact with this because I think it could change your financial life. Maybe you want to work through these questions together as a small group or work through these questions in your house. Maybe have a conversation with your spouse or maybe with your kids or your grandkids. Anyway, pick one of these up. They're out there waiting for you. Okay. In 1912... There was a candy that hit the shelves for the first time. Lifesavers. They called it the summer candy. Why? Because, well, it doesn't get sticky in the summer like the gooey stuff that they were selling at the carnivals before that. Lifesavers. 
two, or it's 110 years old now. Where do they get the name for Lifesavers? From this thing right here. What in the world does this have to do with the topic of money? I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger right now. I'm going to let you kind of wonder about that as we study this text together. See if you can piece that together, what in the world this would have to do with the topic of money. Let me give you the context for the passage of Scripture that we're going to study together this morning out of Deuteronomy. Moses is about to die. God's people have been redeemed. He's rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. God has saved them already from an awful lot of stuff, abject poverty, a life of slavery. He's even saved them, many of them, from death. Do you remember the firstborn, Passover, the beginning of the communion elements that we, we celebrate today? God has already redeemed them from so much. They find themselves in the wilderness. They're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses preaches a powerful sermon. We're going to study a piece of it today. Listen to this. Page 184, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here we go. Be careful. Be careful to follow every command. Which commands? This one, this one. We're going to handpick a few. No, 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 no. He says every command. This is part of why we have to talk about money. It's all through Scripture, every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember, that word gets used an awful lot through this story. Remember, I want you to remember, he's telling the people, remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Again, money is a heart issue, right? It's a discipleship issue. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. We're going to look at that here in a minute. Which neither you nor your ancestors, we always want what's better for our kids and for our grandkids. Your ancestors didn't know about this. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quoted that verse. Puts his blessing on this passage. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell. I like to hike. I had a, a package, uh, Daniel Shelton, our executive pastor, rode my truck the other day, and he pointed out this box on the floor of my truck. It's like, what is this? It's called Luco tape. Well, it's what, what you peel off and you put it on blisters when you hike too much. It happens to everybody when you're hiking. Your feet swell, you get blisters. Maybe not so. God took care of them, even in the little things, those annoying little blisters during these 40 years. Knowing then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. We pull out of this text. I want to share with you three principles. Here's the first one right now. God is a giver. Your God, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, eternal God, he's a giver. He gives. God is not only generous, he is outrageously generous. His generosity was on display with the Israelites, and oh my goodness, there were a bunch of them, and they were a needy lot of people. 
The text actually tells us in Exodus chapter 12, check this out. Uh, this is how many were there. 60,000 men besides women and children. Now, let's do a little bit of math. If there's 60,000 marriage uh, available age men, you got to at least double that number once you start adding women. Actually, you probably need to do a little bit more than doubling. Some of them had multiple wives. That sounds weird, I know, but that was the case. And then they had a whole bunch of kids. Did you read the story about Jacob? How many kids did he have? There are 12 tri tribes, right? He had 12 boys, but he had some girls as well. They had a bunch of kids. And so if you do the math, the conservative estimate here is that the group leaving Egypt and the group wandering around and being fertile and multiplying out in the wilderness, you're probably talking three to four million people. That's like four times the size of the city of Indianapolis. That's a whole bunch of people. Listen to how needy they were and how much God gives. If you took that group of Israelites and you marched them from Egypt 50 across, that would make a column over 40 miles long. Walking at 2.5 miles per hour, it would take 16 hours from the front of the column to pass the same location as the back of the column. Check out how much that they would need to consume just to stay alive. It would require 30 railroad boxcars of food per day. 300 tankers of water per day. Moses, oh, he had a leadership challenge on his hands, right? Well, no, God did. These were God's people. And God's a giver. So what does he do? Water from a rock manna from heaven. We've done some study into this recently. Did you know that the promised land and that Sinai Peninsula beneath it is a bit of a land bridge? Europe, Asia, Africa. It's a migratory path of all kinds of animals and even flora and fauna exist there that is a very diverse space on earth. There's a quail species that migrates from Europe down over that land bridge, and apparently they take a hard right at Turkey, and they fly out over the Mediterranean Sea, and every year they land exhausted from flight in the Sinai Peninsula. And for years, Bedouins knew this, and they'd go out and they would kill these quail, and they would eat them. Isn't that interesting? Likely God provided manna from heaven in a very similar way. There it is. Make yourself your supper. Isn't that cool? God provides. God is simply being himself. God is a giver. He's been doing this for a long time. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 30, this is what he said to our spiritual ancestors. He said, I give you every green plant for food. It's all there for you. Help yourself because God is a giver. If you look ahead of the story, Jesus, oh my goodness, you talk about a giver. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only son. God gives. What are we called to do with that? Did you notice the word remember? Do we remember that God is a giver? That's the first principle. Second, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the second principle. Not only is God a giver, God gives, but also God owns. It's his. Look around. Wherever your eye lands, it's God's. He owns it. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's keep reading. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. It's described elsewhere in Scripture as a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a metaphor. Milk is pastoral. It's a good place to graze your uh, animals. Honey, oh, it's agrarian. You can grow crops and flowers grow well here, and birds and bees, they thrive to pollinate. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron. You can mine stuff here. You can dig copper out of the hills. I, uh, this past week, you might not have known this, but during this service last Sunday, I started feeling sick to my stomach. I think it might have been food poisoning because it came quick and then it left real quick. I wasn't feeling well on Sunday afternoon and I wasn't feeling well on Monday and so I ended up binge watching. Maybe you've done this before. I kind of like had to slow down. So I had my phone out and I'm laying there in bed thinking I'm going to die and I'm, I'm watching this, these videos, these documentaries on the mountain men that inhabited the American West. One of them was Daniel Boone. And it told the story of how he left through the Cumberland Gap and he went to this magical land of Kentucky. And look at all of this stuff. This is ripe for the taking. I suspect the ancient Israelites felt the same way as they stepped into the promised land. Things are beginning to look up for God's people. They saw a light at the end of the tunnel and God is generous. He owns it. Check it out. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything is God's. Psalm 50, verse 10 declares that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. Let's keep reading now for a third observation. If we can, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, when you push yourself back from the table after Thanksgiving dinner and you have to loosen the notch on your belt, at least one notch, when you're satiated, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands. Be careful, because human nature is at display here. Observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, not if, but when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down. Hamilton County, can you lean into this? Can you resonate with this? Have you ever rented a storage facility? How much stuff do you have in your basement? How much stuff do you have in your garage and your fine house? And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, your 401k is swelling and all you have is multiplied, then your heart, then it will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes. Remember how bad it was? And scorpions, I went on a mission trip one time down into Mexico. We were camping, and one morning one of my buddies woke up, and he went to put his boots on just in time to discover a scorpion in his boot. Ugh. Every time I'm hiking or camping in a desert space, I remember that moment. Can you imagine 40 years of that kind of fear? I don't want that. But God, he helped. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. 
to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, if you allow this to happen, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, by the way, consumerism is the false god of the age. I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. I can't help but notice. Here's the third principle. God controls. God controls. Why? Because it's his. He can. He gives. It's his to give, and he controls. I can't help but notice, but the Israelites are about to experience some conspicuous consumption with the risk of gorging themselves of all that's available in the promised land of plenty. And Moses is saying, hey, be careful. When you feast on food, when you enjoy your spacious homes and the work that you have, oh my goodness, you've been blessed as your investments grow and they accumulated much. He was afraid that they would be at risk to turn from God. They thought it was their strength and their skill that produced their wealth. Simply put, God controls it. God controls all that he owns. The text says, the Lord, in Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's his to begin with. He controls this. It's his to control. But Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Before we get to me, 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 look at my achievements Some of us, we've got these accolades on our wall, degrees that we've earned. Look at me. Look how smart I am. Look at these accolades I've gotten from work, this promotion. Look at this money that I've got. Look at me. Look at what I've pulled off. Look how smart I am. God says, no, 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 no. I gave you that, and I also have the ability to control it. So what do we do with this? Those are three principles. What do we do with it? Well, God's Word, when we open up God's Word, worship should happen in two parts. There's revelation and there's response. God reveals himself. We need to respond to that. This past Friday, I was reminded of that. At a moment, sunrise, I got to be out in the woods in the same spot watching this moment of creation coming alive. If you're wired with a nature pathway, perhaps you'd recognize this and admire it as well. This, they say it's darkest right before the dawn. Well, this is the moment right after that. You can just begin to see the eastern sunrise peeking up over the hillside. Look at the next picture. A little bit more light. And my camera is able to capture just a little bit more of that light. And I started hearing the sounds of the woods coming alive. Rustling of leaves on the forest floor. As nocturnal animals are starting to go back to their beds and as 
animals that spend their time like squirrels during the daytime, busy, they start scampering around. I'm starting to hear the sounds of life. Hit the next picture. And the light starts to come a little bit more, and I hear the crowning glory of God's creation, you and me, people. Their cars, I'm in a suburban environment here, and people are heading off to work, and off to do what God has given them the ability to do. And I couldn't help but stop and think, how many of us in these cars that I'm listening to right now recognize that it's God who gave all of this? Even the opportunity to earn an income and an opportunity to put the, the roof over their head that night, they recognize that God gave them this. The light gets a little bit brighter, and then it gets even a little bit brighter, and I couldn't help but just respond, right? God reveals himself we respond. So I spent the next several minutes in prayer just thanking God for who he is. I've got two simple ways how we respond. God reveals himself as the one who gives, who owns, and who controls. Well, how do we respond to these truths? Two of them, simply. Number one, we acknowledge. We acknowledge that God does own and he does control everything. He's the source of all that we have. There was a poll that was taken a few years ago by the British Nutrition Foundation. These Brit, British kids. Question, 27,500 kids and teens aged 5 to 16 about the origins of food. Where does your food come from? Oh, <laughs> About a third of these kids think that cheese is made from plants. A quarter of them said, well, listen, fish fingers come from chickens or pigs. Nearly one in ten secondary pupils think that tomatoes grow underground. We've got to get some of these kids out on a farm, right? It, it reveals some confusion about staples like pasta and bread. They said, well, this must come from meat, Right? A third, a third of five to eight-year-olds believe that these things come from meat. About 19% of this age group didn't recognize that potatoes grew in the ground, 10% thinking that they were growing on bushes or trees. Kids are a lot smarter on this side of the pond, right? I don't know. I've shared with you before that I enjoy hunting and fishing and some outdoor pursuits, and occasionally I'll meet somebody who doesn't agree with that. Imagine that. And occasionally somebody will be a bit vocal with that. By the way, I spent seven years as a high school kid and a college kid working in a factory farm setting, and I spent a lot of my adult life hunting. And if you want to have a conversation about the ethics between those two, I'd love to have it sometime. That's not the point that I'm trying to make right now. This gal this is what she said. Oh, I hate hunters. Not the act of hunting. No, 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 I hate the people that are doing it. Oh, really? Why? Well, I just don't understand. I don't understand why you have to go out and do that when there's perfectly good meat to be found in the grocery store right there on that nice little plastic. You remember the old comedian, here's your sign? Where does that meat come from? I've got a pretty good idea where it comes from. But before we get all puffed up with pride, listen, our pride makes us just as confused as some of those British kids and maybe even some. We think that we are the source of all we have. 
that our skills, our knowledge, our hard work produced all that we have. To that line of reasoning, Jesus would say, what? Actually, he'd tell a story. He'd tell a parable about a farmer. In Luke chapter 12, check this out. This guy has stuff, Hamilton County. He's got more stuff that he can put in his barns. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I, notice how many personal pronouns are here. More than any other story that Jesus tells. Personal pronouns. I, 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 me, me, me. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Raka. It's an insult. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is, a, this is how it will be with just that guy. 2,000 years ago, just that guy that Jesus is talking about. Now, this is a parable, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is how it will be for whoever. We're all included in this. Whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Teddy Roosevelt, the great naturalist, President, started the National Parks. I love this dude. He's a hero of mine. He would take his kids camping. They would lay outside looking at the night sky. Here's the Milky Way. Here's the Big Dipper. And after a time staring up at the vastness of creation, he would turn to his kids and say, Now then, I think we're small enough. Let's call it a night. This is a dad that recognizes God on display in the same manner. We need to take bearing on our lives and be humble before God, our maker and our sustainer. Could I suggest this? We're going to have problems with money. We will have problems with money when we have a problem with God. Some of you, you're frustrated right now. You're thinking, preacher, why are you talking about money inside the church? I don't like that. Might I suggest to you, your anger might be just a little bit misplaced. You're not frustrated with me. These are his principles. Take that up with him. If we fail to acknowledge that God is the outrageous, generous source of all that we have, we'll never get our financial house in order. We work so hard at being physically fit. There's some work to be done here to be fiscally fit. Here's another response. We act. We open up God's word, we see truth. <laughs> we have to acknowledge the truth, but we also have to act on it. We need to respond to God in a God-honoring way. Oh, my goodness. Remember Adam and Eve? We talked about them just a bit ago. He said, God said to them, hey, all this, it's yours. Do whatever you want to with it. But just stay away from that little tree over there. And what do they do? As soon as God turns his back, like spoiled little kids, boom, that's where they go. Before we cast stones at our spiritual forefathers, don't we do the same thing? How about um, the Israelites? How many of them entered the promised land? Twelve tribes, right? Nope. Two and a half of the tribes did not enter the promised land. Why? Because they said, thanks, but no thanks, God. We like things better right where we are. They were ungrateful. They were unappreciative children. Reminds me of ten lepers. Jesus heals 
one of them comes back and says, thank you. This ticks Jesus off. Where are the other nine? I just changed their lives. I gave them their lives back. Why can't they show their gratitude? Can you imagine? Don and I went and saw a movie on Friday, one of those rom-coms. Oh, it's uh, Julia Roberts, and who's the new or the old Brad Pitt? George Clooney. There's a scene early in the movie where somebody falls off of a ship. I'm not spoiling the movie. It's early in the movie. I knew it's a rom-com. They're going to be just fine. But in my heart, I thought, oh, man, you're out in the middle of the ocean. You fall off the ocean. That scares me. Something about that terrifies me. This happens sometimes. People fall off ships, right? Can you imagine you fall off a ship in the middle of the ocean, and the crew on deck throws you a lifeline? A lifesaver. Can you imagine if your response was, hey, did you see me as you reeled me in? The sun was glistening off of my hair and off of my tanned body. Did you see my biceps as they were bulging as you pulled me up? I was rescued so well. Didn't I do a great job of pulling that off? Well, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. We'd fall to the deck of that ship grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. I was a dead man out there. That sermon that Moses is preaching. Here's the passage. Let me show you. This last passage, three times a year. All your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread. All of them, everybody, I want to see them there. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you. He saved us. We're going to gather around the Lord's table here in just a moment. We're going to say thank you. He's given us provisions that go way beyond that moment we're getting ready to celebrate. Your very life is yours. Everything you have belongs to him. Do we approach our God stingy? Do we tip God or do we tithe? He already owns it. Are we generous with our life, with everything we have because he's given it to us? How do we respond to the one who's been so generous to us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we bow our heads and we close our eyes, getting ready to recognize that you are in control, that you have redeemed us. We want to display before you right now grateful hearts. Grateful. Because of who you are and what you've done.